PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another episode of EM Board Bombs. I am your host, Blake Briggs, comma MD, in case you forgot. Um, Iltafat Hussein won't be joining us today. He's actually at the UN currently, explaining away the all important myth of chewing gum staying in your stomach for several years like seven years. Uh, it's pretty crazy stuff. He's doing Yaoman's work, saving the world as usual. Thank you, Dr. Hussein, for your service. Anyway, so what we're going to cover today is actually a quick topic without him. Um, but before we do that, we have to do our formal intro. So remember that for each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. As you like to say, come for the stems, comma, stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes to test your knowledge on topics. Um, you can go to our website at emboardbombs.com. That is emboardbombs.com. We are on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our website. You can stream from there. You can also stream from SoundCloud as well. Um, plenty of options for you to listen to our podcast. There should be no excuse if you like listening to us. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at EMBoardBombs. Um, the big thing that is actually coming up is just remember if you sign up, you get special stuff. Last week, I released a special handout, really special. It's one page, and it was on um, a particular type of drug overdose, and that was unique. Uh, it was a rare topic, but it's interesting for boards, and you get that kind of stuff. Only subscribers got that handout. It's not going to be on the website ever. Uh, it was just emailed out to subscribers. So if you are a subscriber, check your inbox. Make sure you got it. Enjoy it. Thank you for subscribing, and uh, let's get on the road here. Here we go. All right, so we have a 37-year-old female presenting to the ED with acute pain and swelling in her left index finger after it was slammed into her car door one hour earlier. She was in a rush to the Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker premiere, dressed as Chewbacca, but her mask prevented her from seeing the car door, and therefore it slammed on her finger. She lets out a scream, but instead of getting help, she got applause from bystanders due to her close imitation of a Chewbacca yell. Finally, her friend dressed as Han Solo drove her to the ED. The name of their car had license plate M Falcon. She was found to have erythema and pain about the distal portion of her index finger and blue discoloration under her nail. The distal finger is extremely painful to palpation, and there is focal swelling beyond the DIP. The nail bed appears intact. Radiographs show a distal phalanx fracture. So what's going to be the next most appropriate step? Choice A. Nail bed removal with close approximation repair using absorbable suture. B, aluminum splint and close orthopedic follow-up. C, a nail trephination. D, closed reduction and casting. <laughs> Correct answer here is going to be C, nail trephination. Today we're going to talk about a sub-uncle Hematoma. You know, one thing I actually learned about subuncle hematoma is that there's an extra U in there. Uh, subuncul. I guess you have to say it that way. It's S-U-B-U-N-G-U-A-L. So a subuncal hematoma is blood accumulating under the fingernail or toenail from trauma, most commonly the fingers. It's typically a blow to the distal phalanx type of trauma. Um, the big thing you're going to see on exam is going to be this black-blue discoloration under the nail, and it's very painful to touch the distal finger. Dividing up these two types of injuries is going to be simple and complex. Simple, 
subuncal hematomas basically mean that, hey, there's no, there's no big fracture, the nail bed is intact, um, and the patient is obviously neurovascular intact. The complex ones are going to be any significant injury to the nail bed and the digit itself. So like a fingertip avulsion, um, partial amputation, obviously, of the distal fingertip, um, an open fracture. You get the picture here. Um, neurovascular compromise, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So what's the treatment of these simple subungal hematomas? Well, it's going to be trephination. You know, trephination is placement of one or more holes in the nail itself. That's for simple. If you look at the nail bed itself, uh, the nail is avascular. So there's this white crescent, you know, at the base of the nail, if you're looking at your nails right now, if they're not painted. <laughs> um, the That white crescent near the nail cuticle, the cuticle, you know, connecting the nail to the skin itself, providing that seal, that white crescent is called the lunula, L-U-N. ULA. The epinicheal space is going to be that the base of the nail there. And then the perinicheal space, as we all know from perinicheae or perinicheal infections, is going to be at the sides of the nail there. So like we said, there's no um, vascular supply inside the nail. Remember, it's just keratin. And it doesn't have any nerve supply either. All that stuff's right below the nail, hence the term subungal hematoma. That's why nails are basically kind of a pinkish red at baseline if you look at someone's nails. And that's just because of the rich vascular supply underneath it. Hashtag science. So here's the deal. Nail trephination is the standard of care for subungal hematomas. It's gotten more that way, and it's gotten more that way on boards as well. So in the past, you know, we always used to trephinate simple subungal hematomas for, you know, several years, probably before modern medicine. The issue was is that there was this archaic rule that, hey, if there was more than 50% of the nail being affected, then even if the nail is intact, you got to take it off anyway. That, you know, the, the hematoma is too big, you got to take the nail off and do a nail bed repair itself because, you know, the risk of this hematoma growing too big and then causing one pain, deformity, uh, potential neurovascular compromise to the distal finger, that sort of thing. Um, that's not true. Uh, we found that really it doesn't matter about the size of the subuncle hematoma. It's really just about the red flags. What are the red flags? When can you not do trephination? That's probably the better, better term to use. Well, if the injury is greater than 24 to 48 hours, depending on the symptoms, um, by that time that hematoma is clotted off, there's really no benefit to drilling into the nail bed. Um, another reason to not do it is if it's spontaneously draining, we wouldn't recommend trephinating. So when do you need to do more than trephination then? That's when you would call a hand surgeon, of course. They really go hand in hand. So if you're not doing trephination, you're going to be talking to a hand surgeon. I can't tell you how awesome that pun is upon thinking about it, and that was an accident. Um, and that's because these involve displaced distal fractures of the finger, any open fractures. So open fractures, obviously, you know to call a surgeon and start, you know, antibiotics, blah, 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 all that stuff. Intraarticular fractures, as we know as well. And finally, the last one is any nail bed injury. I didn't include anything like neurovascular compromise because that's just common sense. Um, any any normal person, even a lay person, would think, oh, wow, I, you know, <laughs> need to see a surgeon for the finger that I've lost my feeling in because <laughs> of the nerve damage. Anyway, so any neurovascular compromise, displaced or open fractures, intraarticular fractures, or nail bed injury need a hand surgeon. So... On your exam with these patients, you're going to be looking for that. You do, you know, a full hand exam looking for neurovascular compromise. You're going to be looking for nail fold disruption using the anatomy we talked about earlier. And then you're looking for any obvious deformities, of course, as we talked about. When are you going to be doing x-rays? Well, you know, almost always in real life. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be fair here. Um, and in real life, I don't see anyone coming in with this type of injury without getting an x-ray. Let's just be realistic here. However, formally, uh, the studies at least say that, hey, if you have a hematoma that's less than 50% of the nail bed, um, this very low incidence of fractures. They measured like this population study of all these patients coming in, and they said, hey, those that had greater than 50% of the nail bed affected, 
30% of those had fractures. The fractures were just much more common, as you can imagine, in patients with a more significant subungual hematoma. Here's the problem with that, though. Um, the 50% rule is pretty subjective, right? Everybody's hands are different, so the nails are different, too. I mean, and every physician's different in terms of what's 50% rule. That's going to be arguable. So in general, let's just be honest. These patients should always get an x-ray and in real life. I don't think the boards are going to ask you when or when not you need to get an x-ray on these patients. That's not what the question's going for. The question's going to go for what we just asked today, which was, um, hey, when are you trephinating and when are you not? That's pretty much it. And most of the time, you're going to trephinate. So how do you trephinate? Well, you're going to be doing um, using a needle or a cautery. We prefer using a bovi and using cauterization. It is much simpler. It is much easier. The needle takes longer. There's a risk of causing more trauma with the needle. Um, the bovi is just safer and better tolerated. Um, there's no studies at all supporting this at all. Um, also, like the rare time you can use the bovi, so it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, all right, so what we're going to do here, you're going to clean with iodine, not alcohol, <laughs> especially if you're using the bovi, or else you're going to set their nail on fire. Um, using alcohol. There is no sedation or analgesia that's technically needed for this procedure, but that's pretty lame in my opinion. If these patients have come in with significant bruising and pain and they're, they're looking like they're not going to even tolerate it, and if you come at them with the bovi and tell them, oh, don't worry, you're not going to feel a thing, <laughs> I would say, yeah, whatever, man. So you're going to be doing a digital nerve block, which is not unreasonable. Um, that is a simple procedure that an ER doc can do. I think that's an easy thing to do if the patient looks like there's someone that is not going to tolerate you using a bovi on their nail. Um, especially if they have a fracture too. When to remove a nail. So going back to that, um, when are you actually going to think about removing the nail itself and doing a nail bed repair? Well, that's when any of the nail matrix is disrupted. So underneath the nail, um, if any distal avulsion injury, like a partial amputation of the fingertip, any open fracture, or if you need to explore a potential complex nail laceration. So if you have like, you know, a laceration to the distal fingertip and it seems like it's involving part of the nail and it's bleeding and going under the nail, that's concerning for, you know, a lot deeper laceration that needs to be repaired fully uh, for risk of complex infectious space, that sort of thing. So if the laceration itself does not involve the nail fold, no nail bed removal is needed. Um, traditionally, like we said in the past, and this is what the boards used to test on, is that the rule was 25 to 50% hematoma. You know, uh, if you look at the nail, 25 to 50% of nail space taken up by a hematoma, that necessitated nail removal. That's no longer the answer on the test. Um, no studies have ever supported this. That was just a dogmatic preaching. Um, there is no correlation between outcome and size of the hematoma or the presence of a fracture or infection. There's no correlation between any of that stuff. Um, it can happen to anyone. So that's why we recommend getting x-rays um, in these patients that come in. And we don't really recommend anything other than trephination if it's a simple subuncle hematoma. Last two things to keep in mind here. So no antibiotics are ever needed for this. Uh, unfortunately, too often, there is just way too much overprescribing for prophylactic antibiotics. Um, I don't know when in medicine we decided to start giving prophylactic antibiotics for every single lac repair we've ever done. I think that's absurd. Of course, there are complicated lacs. There are complicated spaces that need antibiotics after a lac repair. I'm not saying that. But if you have a simple, healthy person coming in for a lac repair somewhere on the body, they don't they don't need prophylactic antibiotics. I just think it's a complete waste of uh, resources, and it's just poor stewardship. Um, so I'll get off my soapbox. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Um, back to this. We, we don't do antibiotic prophylaxis for this either, unless there is concerning story that, you know, something that is not related to this talk today that makes it a complex nail bed laceration. Like he, you know, I don't know, it was a garbage chute door and there was, <laughs> I don't know, there was like 
raw meat on the door and he got his hand stuck in the garbage chute door. I'm making this up as I go. So again, complex weird cases warrant physician discretion, of course, absolutely. I hate blanket statements. But in general, the vast majority of these cases are not contaminated wounds. No antibiotics are needed. We don't do them. Remember that this is board relevant too. Boards do not want you to be overly aggressive and wasteful of resources. So everything I said is board relevant. Fractures themselves. So the most common fracture associated with this would be a distal uh, phalangeal fracture. So a distal phalanx. That's what this question had. That's another word for a tufts fracture. T-U-F-T-S. A tufts fracture is basically that distal fingertip fracture. Um, it is the most common fracture. Uh, phalangeal fracture. So the big thing with those is that the vast majority of tuss fractures do very well. Um, they are associated with open fractures, especially if there's, uh, you know, avulsion, partial amputation, that sort of thing. Uh, but in general, they do well. And what you need to do is just do splinting for DIP joint in extension. Uh, you're going to just extend the DIP joint itself, but allow the rest of the finger to move. Does that make sense? So what we're going to have is the splint covering the entire finger length, and then the finger can still flex at the MCP. And that's going to be an extension splinting for about four weeks, no longer. We would want these patients, if they do have a fracture, to see a hand specialist in about a week. Nothing urgent. They don't need to come to the ED, as long as it's not open or displaced or intraarticular, as we mentioned above. All right, so that's the topic here. We did pretty good timing, actually. So let's quickly review. Remember that you're going to trephinate in the vast majority of cases. Simple subungal hematomas. Complex subungal hematomas are basically any significant injury to the nail bed or digit itself. So when are you going to trephinate? Simple. When are you going to do a nail bed removal and or consult a hand surgeon? Complex. What makes a nail bed injury complex? Well, you're going to have a displaced or open fracture, intraarticular fractures, or any particular damage to the nail itself. So on exam, you're going to evaluate for neurovascular instability, nail fold disruption, any deformities. You're going to get x-rays on all your patients. Uh, and you're, if you are going to do trephination, you're going to do carterization. No sedation is needed. You can do a digital nerve block if you want. It's not unreasonable. And if you are removing the nail, that is only going to occur when the nail matrix is disrupted, there is a distal avulsion, partial amputation or injury, or you need to explore for the potential of a complex nail laceration that goes beneath the nail. No antibiotics are needed in the vast majority of cases. Remember to splint in DIP joint in extension for four weeks or less. All right, that is another bomb delivered. Remember to sign up on our website at emboardbombs.com for future episodes, new content, and updates. Again, that's emboardbombs.com. It's totally free. No cost to you. Zero dollars and zero cents. The benefit is knowing when new episodes are up and bonus content such as extra episodes. They're only available to those who sign up. Like I said last week, we released a special Thanksgiving Valproate overdose handout. That was one page, baby bomb. Um, it was cool. It was awesome to write it. It was based on a real case that I had recently. And remember that that was only to subscribers. That'll never be on our website. So if you sign up on the email list, you can get things like that. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Ian Bourbons. We have over a thousand followers now. Feel free to join us anytime. Drop us an Apple review. We keep growing. The more reviews we get, the higher up in the chain we get and the higher up in the front line of medical podcasts. So please help us out. Um, we want to keep this free shindig going as long as possible. We love doing it. Um, we will always have this free to every listener or subscriber. So please uh, do us a favor and just return a little bit of gratitude just by writing an Apple review. Be awesome and spread it to your friends and colleagues. Thanks again. See you next time.